In his marvelous book, Unfinished, Richard Stearns, the head of the world's largest humanitarian organization, Christian organization, as it uh, turns out, uh, World Vision, in this marvelous book, Richard Stearns poses a very intriguing and provocative question. The question is simply this. Why are we still here? Why are Christians still here on planet Earth? If there is a God, as we believe there is God, then he has the complete capacity to take us out of this mess. Why did he not, therefore, when we became his followers, simply pluck us out of the world and bring us into his glorious heaven? Why did he leave us here? Why did he leave his disciples behind? Well, in his message from Matthew chapter 5 this morning, Jesus proceeds to answer that particular question for us. You've been left here, says Jesus, to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Now, I know that most of us have heard that pair of metaphors countless times. Raise your hand if you ever heard that statement that you're supposed to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Okay, we have all heard this many, many times. What does it actually mean, practically speaking? What is it about the salt that a Jewish mother would have been used, using regularly in the kitchen for cooking or the lamp that a Hebrew father would have lit each uh, evening? What is it about these metaphors or images that is helpful for understanding the role that the followers of Christ are meant to have in the world? Well, one thing we can certainly say about salt and light is that they are different from everything else around. That much is clear if you think about the imagery. Salt and light are, are distinct from their surroundings. If you were to go to a farmer's market this afternoon or tomorrow, if you were to go to the kind of market that existed in the time of Jesus before processed foods came into existence, you could buy all kinds of food to eat, and yet little or none of it would actually be salty. Food in its natural state is often rather bland. Similarly, you could travel across the vast reaches of this universe. You could move through space, and you would be struck by the fact that very little of it is light. Most of it is, in its natural state, darkness. Salt provides a contrast to the blandness of most food as light exists in marked contrast to the darkness of most of the universe. And if you are truly following me, Jesus is saying to us here, you are going to be very distinct from those who are not following if you're a child of the kingdom of God, you are going to represent a marked contrast to the surroundings, as it were. In his book, Run with the Horses, perennial and beloved author Eugene Peterson suggests that the world today has come to embrace, embrace a way of living that is either bland or dark or both. The puzzle, he writes, is... Why so many people today live so badly? 
Not so wickedly, but so inanely. Not so cruelly, but so stupidly. There's little to admire and less to imitate in the people who are prominent in our culture today, says Peterson. We have celebrities, but not saints. We have famous entertainers amusing a nation of bored insomniacs. Infamous criminals act out the aggressions of timid conformists. Petulant and spoiled athletes play games vicariously for lazy and apathetic spectators. Aimless and bored, people amuse themselves with trivia and trash. The puzzle is why so many seem to live so badly. Now, that characterization may seem overly harsh to you. It seems a little harsh to me. Um, But the point, I think, to take away is that if we're citizens of the city of God, then our character should be nothing like that. We should never be confused with that, with people who have forgotten how to live wisely and well. To come across a group of my followers, says Jesus, ought to be sort of like the positive experience that many people in the ancient world would have. They would be traveling through some dark and dangerous badlands. And there were a lot of that. I've I've been to places like that, even in Israel today. There are these wilderness zones through which people travel. People in those days are moving slowly. They're often hungry. They're tired. They're dirty. They're worn out from the journey. When all of a sudden they would come around the bend in a hill, and there it was, a city up on a rise, an acropolis a city up on a hill. And at the very sight of that place, this place of light and warmth and safety and sustenance, of provision and rest, the hearts of any traveler would just immediately soar and they would pick up their pace and they would make their way now for that city. Jesus is saying that the church ought to be a destination like that. In a world where people have forgotten how to live well, where many people are living inanely or stupidly, the church ought to be this luminous place, this destination toward which people would want to pick up their pace, a community of light and hope that stands out against the darkening sky. Is that true of us, I'm wondering? Is that true of of this community of faith or of the local churches within the sound of my voice today, are we known as these kinds of places? Is walking into a gathering of Christians like, as I've said often, getting off a plane from Chicago in February and finding yourself in the Bahamas? Does it represent that market of contrast of environments and climates and citizenry to enter into the circle of God's people? If someone were to follow you around with a camera this week, would the video go viral? I mean, would it be like one of those those videos that are constantly running across the internet because it was just so interesting? It was just so different. Because the person who was filming you and then everybody who saw the video was so amazed 
by the way you handled yourself when somebody dissed you or hurt you? Would they be shocked, inspired by the way you shared from your resources with somebody in significant need? Would they want to to see your story and pass it on to other people because it was just so unusual the way that you dealt with that seductive temptation, that moment when you could have taken all the credit and gave the blessing away or the glory to God? Would your life go viral? Would it be something that people saw as a marked contrast? to the way that life is normally lived. If you read on through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount in which today's teaching is lodged, you will be struck by this recurrent refrain of Jesus. I know you have heard it said, but I say to you, I I, I know you've heard that life is supposed to work like this. But I say to you, I know you've been told that goodness or success or satisfaction looks like this. But I say to you, but I say to you, live like this instead. You live like this instead. Resolve that you're going to be as different from the ordinary standard, as the normal, from the normal surroundings, as salt is from bland and light is from darkness. Be that distinct in the midst of your world. But as you do that, soberly face the fact as well that salt and light can be compromised. And this is the second thing about salt and light I hope you'll take from this study today. Salt and light are different from their surroundings, but they can be compromised. In this teaching from Matthew 5, Jesus identifies two ways specifically that that can happen. For one thing, he says, salt can lose its saltiness. You can lose your saltiness. And I want to invite you to think about that for just a moment with me. Have you ever left a a salt shaker on the shelf for so long that the salt actually lost its saltiness. You put it on your food and it was bland. Has that ever happened to you? No, it's never happened to you. You know why? Because the salt that you have in your house is nothing like the salt that existed in the first century. The salt that you and I live with and work with today is an extremely stable compound. It is pure sodium chloride. It's not going to lose its saltiness. In the ancient world, however, common house salt was made of different stuff. It was commonly derived from the evaporation of water from salt marshes. And the stuff that got left behind was a a mixture of different chemicals. It had sodium chloride in it, but it also had all kinds of impurities like gypsum and natron and sodium sulfate, I'm told. And over time, with use and with exposure to the elements of life, the sodium chloride in the salt could get leached out. In other words, you would go and you'd see it in its container and it would still look like salt. It would still look like the genuine useful stuff but it would no longer have the property 
for which you really valued it. And once that happened, once the salt had lost its saltiness, its sodium chloride, then it was good for little else than to be thrown out. And because resources in the ancient world uh, were regarded as highly precious and people made use of everything, they would take what was left behind and they would throw the leached salt out often onto the flat roofs of their homes and they would stomp the, 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 this substance into the cracks of their roof. Why? Because this gypsum and natron and sulfate made an awfully good sealant that kept water from seeping into the, into the cracks of the house. Now, do you see what Jesus was getting at when he says it's only good for being thrown out and being trampled on by people? Do you see what Jesus is getting at in this illustration here? Christ is acknowledging that you and I are not pure compounds. That's just the reality about us. It's the truth. But if we're not very careful, our Christian character and our commitment can get leached away by exposure to the world. Eventually, we will appear to be Christian, but we will no longer function as the salt of the earth. We will not be distinct or different from the the life around. We will not present an alternative kind of kingdom to the planet. And the hypocrisy of our lives, and because we keep talking as if we are people that are different and yet not living differently, and the emptiness of our experience, because we're actually not experiencing the joy and the benefits of truly living differently, the hypocrisy and the emptiness will actually seal people against the water of God's Spirit. We will become the sort of the false, uh, we'll become the sealant, ironically, that blocks people from experiencing and believing in the kingdom, like the hardened roofs that Christ imagines um, by extension in this little mini parable. This, I think, is why it's just crucial that we attend to the issue of our saltiness. It's why it's, it's vital that, you know, that our disciple practice is not confined to what we do here or in some other church building on the weekends. It's crucial that we keep engaging in those soul training practices during the week, that, that prayer and fasting and confession and solitude and silence and reading of the scriptures and those other soul training practices are part of your experience and my experience day after day Uh, during the week. It's why it's important that we take advantage of the equipping classes that our church uh, and churches offer to people in the community. It's why it's critical to have these smaller group partnership experiences where we encourage each other and strengthen each other in the faith because God uses these things to replenish our saltiness, to keep us from having it leached away by exposure to the world. So what is it that you're doing? What is it that I'm doing between weekends to maintain the saltiness? If salt and light are really to do the good for which they were created, it will not only be because they are different from what surrounds them and and are attentive, attentive to maintaining their saltiness, 
or, or their internal radiance, but also because salt and light penetrate their environment. The nature of salt and of light is to penetrate the environment if they're allowed to. When Jesus was a child, he would have watched his mom taking a handful of salt and working it into the meat, into the fish. He would have seen them, her mom, his mom just kind of pressing the salt into the food. He would have watched his dad light a lamp and he would have seen its radiance uh, spread out. Dad would have taken the lamp and put it right in the middle of the house. He would have been purposeful about the positioning of the lamp because his goal was to penetrate the entire environment of the house with the lamp. I believe that rather than taking us immediately up to heaven, God left Christians on earth so that we might use our moral and spiritual distinctiveness to penetrate and benefit our environment as well. And it is easy to forget the mission, I think. It is really easy to just sort of have a brain cramp about why it is that we're here. Sometimes we think, I'm different because I go to church. That's what makes me different. I showed up in in a place like this today. Or we slip into thinking that what God really wants for us most is to come and to exercise our difference here on weekends. Uh, Here we will be forgiving. You know, we'll be be kind to the person that that stepped in front of us in the donut line or took the parking space. Though I find that the forgiveness rarely goes out to the parking lot um, from what I'm told. Um, Here we will give credit to God for our blessings. Here we will speak of truth and grace. Here we will live like Jesus. Here we will, as I said, eat donuts like disciples. You know, here we will do these things. But this is the second way that our witness gets compromised. The first way it gets compromised is that it gets leached away. Our distinctiveness gets leached away. But the second way it gets compromised is is by this way that we come to view our faith as contained in the experience of church. It's great that we come to the Christian Bowl on the weekends. Um, I remember it was Super Bowl weekend recently, and I was worried. People would go to that bowl instead of this one. And, and, And yet so many of us prioritized being here in the Christian Bowl on weekends. It's great to have a place where the flame of faith gets protected, where it's allowed to heat up, as it were, in our lives. Because the winds of the world are tough. We want that faith, that flame of faith to be strong and, and hot. But Jesus says that the primary function of the flame is not to warm the bowl. Uh, the primary function of the flame is, is to penetrate every corner of the world. It is to give light to everyone in the house. Um, that's, that's the goal. It's to go into all the world, as the cornerstone of our church says, and our founders so clearly understood. Do you ever hear people evaluating church, however, in, in the bullish sense? Do you, do you ever hear people talking about the quality of a church in terms of what the pastors do? 
here on Sunday, on the weekend? Oh, that's a great church. Oh, they've got a, they've got, they've got a wonderful pastor, John. You should meet John. He's fantastic. Or you should hear that choir. They can really sing it out. You should see how beautiful that building is. I mean, the carpets are, they have this children's discovery center. You wouldn't believe. What a great church. You ever hear people evaluate a church in terms of what goes on inside the bowl? I think God evaluates a church by what the people of God do out there on Monday. I think that when the angels are sitting around and and talking about the great churches of America and the world, they're talking about what John did when he got out there into the office and what Sally did when she was there at that moment of pressure in her home and what Fred did when they were out there in that moment of temptation and crisis. I think that when God evaluates a church, it's always in terms of whether that church was penetrating the environment of the world And bringing salt and light. In the words of John Stott, the ultimate question of our day is, will Christian men and women be able so to influence their society so that the values and standards of Jesus permeate American culture, its legislation and institutions, its administration of justice, its conduct of business, the education of its children and young people, its care of the sick and the elderly, its attitude to dissidents and criminals, and the way of life of its citizens, will Christian women and men be influences in their society? Or will their church and discipleship be mainly about what's in the bowl, what's under the bowl? Os Guinness, the Cambridge historian, writes, the main problem with American Christians is not that they aren't where they should be, but that they are not what they should be right where they are, as doctors, housewives, lawyers, computer salesmen, or nurses. Now, I believe you are those things, okay? I'm not trying to beat up on you today. Uh, although I think Jesus is challenging all of us in his words today. But I think it's critical that we really take in, and that's why I'm hammering it so hard, that we really take in the emphasis of Christ's teaching right at the front of his most famous address. And I think it even gets lost in this passage because the syntax of the original language here is something that doesn't get rendered faithfully in the English translation. The original Greek version of the text puts the emphasis of the statements that Christ makes here not on salt and light. The the syntax actually places the emphasis on the word you. You are the salt. Jesus is saying, yeah, yeah, you, you are the light that my father is depending upon, counting on, planning on, using to radiate the house. It won't be me, says Jesus, in effect, that that sends the lightning bolt down from heaven and wakes somebody in your environment from their spiritual slumber. It won't be the pastor from your church who challenges wrong in your workplace. 
It won't be the choir member who maintains a vision for the highest in your home. It won't be some church staff person who speaks of the hope of Christ to that person at your kid's athletic contest or the individual you know and talk with at the coffee shop. It will be you. You are the salt of the earth. (laughs) You are the light of the world. Which brings us, I think, to the final meaning of this brilliant metaphor that Jesus gives us to explain our role in the world. God has left you and me here first that we might be living witnesses to the difference that faith in Christ makes. The difference it makes to have the God of the universe as the Lord of our lives and not something else as the ultimate of our life. He's left us in the world, secondly, not that we might live these privately pious lives, but that we might go out to penetrate our environments with the principles and the practices of his kingdom. And if you've forgotten what those principles and practices are, read on through the Sermon on the Mount, or go back to the uh, lectionary readings from earlier in the week, read again Psalm 112, read again Isaiah 58, they're picturing the way of this kingdom. But finally, God has put you and me where we are, left us here, because salt and light, when they're out there at work, bring change. I mean, they bring change. There is this funny thing about salt, and you know it from your experience. All it takes is a tiny pinch, right? And wow, does the flavor change. What was once bland becomes delightful. What was once subject to rot and decay is now preserved. The same is true of light. Just light a match, a tiny match, even in the midst of a really big dark room, and just watch how the environment changes. That's why we put night lights into rooms for kids, right? Just takes a little light, and suddenly it's a different kind of environment. The same is true of people filled with the Spirit of God. There is enormous potency in the power of God at work through you and through me. All it takes is a few grains of discipleship. All it takes is a few sparks of a real disciple's life to bring about a massive change. Historian Kenneth LaTourette puts it this way. No life ever lived on this planet has been so influential in the affairs of humanity as that of Christ And of the body of Christ, the movement of grace and truth he set off. Through that life, millions of people have had their inner conflicts resolved. Through it, hundreds of millions have been lifted from illiteracy and ignorance and have been placed upon the road of growing intellectual freedom and control over the physical environment. The life of Jesus, writes La Tourette, has done more to allay the physical ills of disease and famine than any other impulse in history. It has emancipated millions from chattel slavery and millions of others from thraldom to vice. The life of God in people has protected tens of millions from exploitation by their fellows and has been the most fruitful source of movements to lessen the horrors of war and to put the relations of men and nations 
on the basis of justice and peace. And it all began with a pinch. The life of Jesus at work in just 12 people. And it continues with the life of Jesus in small pockets of people all over planet of Earth today. In an interview in Psychology Today, renowned Berkeley sociologist and Christian Robert Bella said, we should never underestimate the significance of a small group of people. Never underestimate the significance of a small group of people who have a new vision of a just and a gentle world. For the quality of a culture may be changed when just 2% of its people have a new vision. It's not, that's not pie in the sky dreaming, by the way. That's research. If just 2% of a population become genuinely salty, <laughs> genuinely irradiated, with a passion for a different kind of world and begin to move out, it can dramatically alter the entire environment. Let's be that intensely salty, immensely radiant 2% factor in our time, shall we? So let's remember that Christ has called you and me to be salt shakers for a life-enhancing, decay-stopping force that is the size of the world's oceans and more. Let's remember that we're called to be lenses of the light of someone who holds the power of a billion suns. But in order to be that salt and light, there are a couple of things we have to do, and I've got to close with this. First, take some steps this week to cultivate your connection with Christ so that your character and your conduct are distinctly different from the decaying patterns of this world. Renew the devotional practices of your life by which you train your soul to be more like Christ. Find some partners with whom you can worship and grow and serve. Secondly, take even more seriously the places you're going to when you leave the bowl. Okay? Take it even more seriously than you did before you walked in. Remember, you are Christ's strategy for penetrating with his grace and truth that home, that workplace, that circle of family and friends. Those places, those households matter as much as this one does to him. And finally, do not stop trying to be God's agent. Do not give up on being God's agent of change until the decay and the darkness that you are meeting are transformed by the salt and the light Christ brings through who? You. 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 This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen.